the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with, well... Not Brian Fromm. He's somewhere. We've not yet heard. If you've seen him, let us know because we're, we're starting to get worried. But you can find the show a couple of places. You can go to Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Also, wherever it is you get your podcast. But while Brian is gone, we have a whole slew of really wonderful special guests in the studio. And uh, you guys are in for a real treat because Dr. Marsha Vaughn is not only just an incredible person with an incredible mind. You're legitimately one of my favorite people to follow on Facebook. That's Aww. that's true. So first off, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, my pleasure. And I, I love to ask guests, rather than me like read a bio on a sheet somewhere, I'd love to ask guests just to introduce themselves to the audience. So if, let's just assume someone's listening and they don't know who you are, they never met you. How would you introduce yourself to them right now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love when it starts with a laugh. That's oh, perfect. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I guess I could start by saying I'm not from around here, but <laughs> probably have maxed out on uh, when I can say that. Um, I am originally from Middle Tennessee, grew up about 30 minutes southeast of Nashville, and went to college by working my way progressively west. Hmm. Did my undergrad at a school in Arkansas and did my graduate studies at a couple schools in Texas and got sick of the heat and moved uh, where basically there is no heat. Uh, so Canada? <laughs> close enough, sure. Uh, so I had the opportunity to move to uh, Chicago in 2001 to uh, take an academic position at Judson University out mm-hmm. in Elgin. That's where we met. That's right. And um, we'll be transitioning uh, next Monday to a new academic position at Adler University. And oh, that's Monday. That's Monday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's coming up quick. Uh, so I have the opportunity to teach in my field. I'm a marriage and family therapist by training. I'm licensed in Illinois. Also have worked as a hospital chaplain um, before I started my academic career. But... Love to travel, love to bake, love Marvel movies. Probably yes. should not have sold, told you that. No, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> we talked Marvel uh, yesterday, too, by the yeah, way. It's perfect. Hey, it's, it's a big, big universe, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, so the, the possibilities are endless. Um, but I, my favorite thing in the world is to just listen to people's stories. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm so blessed to do the work that I do is uh, because when I get in these moments where I just I feel disconnected from, uh, you know, other people feel disconnected from myself, feel disconnected from the world. I will just kind of text a friend or message a friend and just tell me a story. Mm. And they're like, well, what about I'm like anything? Just tell me a story, Um, because that is that's how we connect with each other. That's how we learn more uh, about each other. So I am 
a fan of a model of counseling called narrative therapy hmm. that's storying and restoring and um, kind of reauthoring your reauthoring your life. Wow! So it's kind of fun. I love I, that. I love it. Okay, so now I have like twelve questions already. And uh, question number one. Okay, one of them is going to be about story because sure. one of the things that we've made sort of a central vision and ethos for the show yeah. is that in an age when it seems like we're just yelling louder and louder at each other and we're caught in our echo chambers and our confirmation biases. And I, I keep coming back to this Brene Brown quote, where she says, people are hard to hate up close mm. when you hear their story, when you really get into it and you have all this training and mm. education experience, but I imagine people listening are thinking, I also love story. I resonate with stories, mm. but they don't know either how to tell their own or how to really engage or listen to others. Cause it's one of the things I think you do exceptionally well. It's not just that you love stories, but you, you create safe spaces for people to tell their mm-hmm. stories. What, advice or perspective would you give on someone either a that wants to tell their story but doesn't know how to or b would love to better be a safe place for other people's stories but doesn't know how to get there sure and i think people probably feel more comfortable telling their story if they know it's going to be received Mm. gently or received well so I, i will tackle the second part of that first is how do we listen better and i think we come with it from come at it from a position of uh, curiosity and humility Mm. um you know seeking to understand that other person you know couples who are who have been married for years that's one of the things that helps strengthen their marriage is to never think they always have the other person figured out is that a common thing people think they've cornered their spouse like yeah we've been together 15 years i I got i got her figured out you know that we complete each other's sentences and, and things like that and you know that is there are couples who do that and that's fine. But I think as, as soon as you assume that you know mm. another person completely, then it, it starts to it starts to decline a little bit. because right. you know, The mystery is gone. The um, the what what's new, what's right. what's left to discover about the other person. Um, so it's the same thing in any relationship, whether it's, uh, you know, a brand new friend or, mm. uh, you know, a sibling or a parent um, I had the opportunity um, about this time last year uh, to visit um, Montgomery, Alabama. Hmm. I'm a big fan of Brian Stevenson. Uh, he's one of my personal heroes. And when uh, he and the Equal Justice Initiative, when they opened up the National Museum for Peace and Reconciliation, yeah. kind of the informal name is the Lynching Memorial. Yes, right. Um, because, you know, who doesn't want their vacay to be right. uh, the Lynching Memorial in South Alabama in late July? Right. Uh, Good times. That's what you did. That's what I did. Late July. Um, wow. late, yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, but I, I made it. Uh, I changed my plans and actually invited my parents to go with me. Really? Um, I did. They met me in Atlanta. I flew into Atlanta. Um, they drove down um, from Middle Tennessee, and we spent a couple days in Atlanta at the King at Martin Luther King's hmm. uh, home and the King Center, and then we drove to Montgomery. Uh, and visited that, and I had forgot, I don't know why I had not made this connection, that my parents, who were in their early 80s, um, had they grew up in the Jim Crow South. Mm. And my mother was a teacher, and uh, in the te- uh, she was a teacher in the late 50s, early 60s, right. so she was a teacher whenever they integrated schools. Right. Um, my dad, uh, the school that he graduated from was Nathan Bedford Forest School. Wow. wow. So it's like the name of his school was the, the grand, first Grand Wizard of the KKK. Right. And so here I am wrestling with some of these personal issues around what does it mean to be um, a Southerner? What does it mean to mm. 
have a heart for racial reconciliation? What does it mean to have a personal family history of owning slaves? No kidding. Um, and to be confronted with all of this in Montgomery and Atlanta uh, and things like that. And my dad tells the same story over the course of you know the couple of days of traveling. My dad tells the same story three or four times, and every single time it's a little bit different. Mm. Every single time he adds a little bit more detail. And it's new insights for me. This is something I didn't know about him. New insights to himself and my mom. They've been married for 50, no, 19, since 1961. Wow. So help me with math. Uh, 58 years. Yeah. I think yeah, they just that hit. Right. I think that you're sure, close enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had 58 years last Sunday. So happy anniversary, mom and dad. That's awesome. Um, and. I love getting those moments where I will ask my dad to tell a story. He's mm. a southern, southern, southern men are the best storytellers. <laughs> um, and mom, again, after fifty-eight years, will will look at him and say, "I have never heard you tell that story before." No kidding. Yeah, and like there is still some stuff to be there's still some stuff to be learned. I love that. Um, so, and the same thing, my mom tells a story about um, you know when the high school that she was teaching at when when that integrated. It's like never heard that story before. Wow. Uh, so I think. It's just taking the time and asking the questions. Um, I'm going to go back with my, my StoryCorps app on my phone and, mm. and start to record some of these things. My brother is also really good. He's also a pastor um, at getting some of these things down. And you know, life is story. Yes. Okay. So that uh, if it's not already clear to everybody, it should be why I love Dr. Marshall Vaughn so much. And I, you're going to stick with us for the whole hour. We're going to talk a little bit more about story. Hi. Let's dive into Internet stuff. Let's get political. Let's talk about race. Let's talk about toxic masculinity. Let's just throw. Let's get. Talk let's about get ice cream all, flavors. Why, <laughs> why puppies are great. Easy. The beauty of the sunset. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk about maybe some of those, and we'll figure it out sure. <laughs> along the way where we're going to go. Yeah, this has been the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is, let's say he's parasailing. That's, let's, go, let's go with that story. He's Why? Brian Fromming. He's Brian know. Fromming in the Frommiest, most Fromm kind of way. Uh, but you can still find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get your podcast. And uh, really, really excited to have Dr. Marshall Vaughn in the studio for an entire hour. And we've been talking so far about uh, not only your background, uh, and some of the stuff that you've kind of wrestled through in the narrative of your family history, but the the importance of listening and how we can actually do that well. Would you talk to us a little bit more about why that's so important and some of the ways that maybe we, I don't know, just miss the mark when it comes to listening? Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the hardest things to listening and staying engaged with other people, especially people who we don't agree with these days, mm. just getting past that first knee-jerk reaction um, where it seems like our, our default modes these days are either, you know, outrage or fear. Mm. And like, that's basically all we have. Right. Um, which, if you reframe those, that's basically the fight or flight response. Right, right. Uh, so when our brain takes in new information through our senses, like what we see, what we hear, what we taste, that information first goes to our thalamus. That's the relay station that sorts sensory information into threat or not threat. 
So if I could tangent for a minute, think about kids sitting in school who are trying to learn new information. If they are already under stress, if they have been traumatized, then they're going to have a difficult time uh, learning and retaining new information. So my educators out there, if you're familiar with trauma-informed approaches, this is what they're talking about. So after information comes through the thalamus, then it goes through other brain structures like the amygdala which can trigger our emotional reaction of anger or fear. And then that also decides where information is stored based on how strong of an emotional reaction we have. So then if it is a threat, it will go to the hypothalamus, which regulates the hormones that make us feel angry, energized, afraid, or sad. And this whole process is unconscious if we are feeling threatened. If it's not a threat, if we stay in a state of calm, then a brain structure called the hippocampus will take over and encode that information into long-term memory. So then we can recall that memory whenever we need it. So hmm. um, you'll hear, if my educator friends, you've probably heard of trauma-informed education. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has, um, trauma-informed education has at its roots looking at Um, what are called adverse childhood experiences, Mm. knowing that kids can't learn if they're stressed. Kids can't learn if they've been traumatized. And so to recognize the signs of that and create a classroom environment where kids' brains can calm down enough where they can process new information Mm. into long-term memory. Um, So that has to happen for adults as well. But anytime we hear something new, the first thing we do is assess for a threat. If it's not a threat, it's okay. And mm. so we can stay engaged. We can stay calm. Uh, we can uh, put details into long-term memory. Um, but if there is a threat, then our hormones kick in, neurotransmitters kick in, and then we have to decide how to respond. Is it fight, flight, freeze, or fold? Um, oh, fold. So, fold. I, don't, I don't think I've heard uh, yeah. that Yeah, and so I think the original the originalist was fight, flight, freeze, or submit, but, you know, there's no symmetry in that. So we had to come up with an F. <laughs> As a preacher, um, I'm very grateful for that. Yes. F word for that. So I will credit one of my students, Catherine, with coming up with uh, fight, fight, freeze or fold. That's brilliant. Um, yeah. And I was like, I'll take it. Uh, so obviously, most people know the fight or flight response. And so yeah. that is when you assess that there's a threat that you can manage. You are strong enough. You're bigger, stronger, faster. Um, mm. That you, you can take it. Got it. And so... Usually we see that coming out when people get angry and defensive. That's right. the fight mode. I've never I, seen that before, but I'm, I'm told sometimes people get defensive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe once or twice. <laughs> uh, so and then the, the flight response, of course, these are these. This is withdrawal. This is fear. Um, mm. This is um, kind of shrinking back. This is I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Uh, uh, things mm. like that. And then the freeze response is again a little bit more time where you have to figure out how you're going to process. Oh, okay. Um, so you kind of get locked up and you're like, can I take it? Can, you know, can I deal with this? Can I not? Uh, so that freeze is um, you're giving, you're trying to buy yourself a little bit more time. Got it. Uh, the fold response or the submit response usually kicks in whenever folks have been threatened or in a dangerous or traumatic position over and over and over and over again. Oh, interesting. So the fold or the submit response is basically they have checked out and given up. Got it. Um, and so it's it, they immediately know that that's a threat that they can't handle. Okay. Uh, so why bother trying to run away? Right. Why bother trying to fight? Just. I'm done. just unplugged. I'm just right. Just done. Wow. Uh, so that is that's our instinct. That's the very first thing that happens. 
Um, so I think the trick with staying engaged is to move past that first response because most things in situations like this are not threatening. They're not personally threatening to mm. us, but for, we get triggered with this knee-jerk reaction of this is something I have to be completely outraged about or right. this is something that I have to fear for my life mm. um, and you know protect my babies or you know, just kind of hunker down and uh, you know, kind of lock down me and mine. Right. Um, so once you kind of get past that, you can start asking the questions, what is really going on here? Mm. Um, is there any truth in what they're saying? What is life like through their eyes. That's a great question. And and try to understand that. So that's where the humility and curiosity comes through. So that kind of moves us past. If somebody tells you a story that is nothing like your experience at all, like this is new information. This is completely foreign to me. Is it a threat? No. Is it a threat? Yes. But like, I'm not even going to ask that question anymore. Mm. Um, So that's when you can say, what is life like in their skin? That's great. And I think, you know, especially from people from different um, different regions of the country, different skin colors, different gender identities, different um, religions. Once you can kind of get past this person is different, they're not a threat. Yeah, right. Then you can start to say, what what's it like to be them? Wow. And to find points of connection that way. Why do you think that's so hard? Like I've heard somebody talk about the difference between sympathy and empathy and empathy is getting into the pit with them, mm-hmm. you know, really. And why, why is it so rare? Maybe it's just rare in my own media streams, but it feels like I don't see a lot of people asking the question, what's it like to walk a mile in your shoes? What's it like Mm -hmm. to live and see through your eyes? It just Mm -hmm. feels like a lot of anger, a lot of fear. And I don't know that Christians are any better than this, to be honest. Well, because I think we can't get past the threat. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, Look on the news and <laughs> pause right now and go scroll your Twitter feed. Um, pause right now and go scroll your Facebook news feed. It seems yeah. like everything because it's designed to get our attention. Oh, right. Uh, and so it has to be worse. It has to be more harsh. It has to be more horrible than the last um, thing. Than the saw. last mm. thing that just happened. Mm. Uh, and so the more horrible something is, the more strongly we have to defend it or protect ourselves from it. Interesting. Uh, so it's it's this vicious cycle that seems to never. And, yeah, right. Um, so I, th- I think to like, shut off, shut off social media, maybe not this page, um, <laughs> <laughs> shut off everything else. But honestly, there there is a value in taking a break from all of the noise. Mm. There's a reason why the Sabbath was a commandment before social media I was even say, showed it up. Sounds biblical. <laughs> Imagine that. Who knew? <laughs> so. See, well, this is what I find so fascinating about you, too, though, because you have all, all these credentials mm. and you hold intention, I think, so well mm. what you've learned and rooted all that in your faith. Mm. And and it seems like just following you online, like, yeah, these both coexist, actually. So mm-hmm. much of this ancient wisdom actually speaks to how we're wired as humans. Mm-hmm. So, like, coming up next, just to tee up a little bit, I want to ask you a little bit more about. Where do you see all this going mm-hmm. and what are some better ways for us to engage? We were talking off air even a little bit about like the five most horrific stories we've read in the last 48 hours. Like there's, there's never a lack for them. Mm-mm. And I, I want to be, I'd love for this show to be a place where we can create space for dialogue. And what you're talking about is so close to my heart for what I'd love for this to be. Um, and I want to get a little practical for the people who are driving or listening to the podcast thinking, okay, how, how do I actually right. do this? So that's what's coming up next with Dr. Marsha Vaughn here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the common good. My goal is always at least once a show to make our guests dance to the rejoin music. <laughs> 
Mission accomplished. I won't describe how we're grooving in the studio right now, but just rest assured it is happening. Thank God it's radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have that thought each and every week. Thank, so thankful there's not a video camera in here. Uh, if you're wondering what's going on in the studio right now, Brian Fromm is gone, but I have in the studio a dear friend of mine, Dr. Marshall Vaughn, who is uh, all sorts of things. And you had talked about it a little earlier that you, so you have this education background that I think qualifies you in some really unique ways to speak to some of these things. I also think, I just think you're incredibly wise and not everyone with an education is also wise as I'm sure <laughs> you can attest, but we were just talking a little bit about how, how do we hold things that even appear to be opposing intention? Like for you, maybe even your education and your Christian faith. Could you talk a little bit more mm-hmm. about what that's like and how maybe that can help us find a way forward in an age that just seems so divided? Uh, sure. Uh, one of the, I'm not going to claim to be a philosophy expert in any stretch, Um, but I know one of the ideas that I keep coming back to when I'm putting these situations where I'm wrestling with opposing ideas is the Hegelian dialectic. Mm. Um, H-E-G-E-L, Hegel, um, German philosopher, um, who basically was talking about a synthesis synthesis, um, arising out of a thesis, one statement, and an antithesis, Mm. the exact opposite. Mm. And so this wrestling back and forth, and it comes up with a a, a third option. Mm. Um, You know, that's kind of popular in business, business, leadership, gurus, whatever. Where's the third way? It's the thinking outside the box. Right. Um, But it's this holding two opposing ideas in tension that are both true. Mm. Um, So whether it's, you know, Schrodinger's cat, the famous story that probably only people know from the Big Bang Theory, um, <laughs> that episode. And so is the cat alive or dead in the box? Well, you, you don't know until mm. you know it's actually both. Mm. Um, but I remembered a story from just a few days ago, uh, Toni Morrison, a you know, Nobel Prize winner, uh, very famous author, poet, mm-hmm. um, very influential, Brilliant. Um, recently passed away. Yeah. And so... Um, our, a lot of her work and writings and words are, are front and center in our mind. Um, but I listened to her Nobel Prize acceptance speech um, yesterday, I think. And she told a story about uh, a couple of boy, you know, a group of uh, young boys wanted to try and trick or you mm. know, disgrace the um the the why the wise elderly woman in the village, kind mm. of the matriarch, mm. and so they caught a baby bird and held it in their hands and asked her, "Is the bird alive or dead?" Mm. And of course, Toni Morrison tells the story much more eloquently than I do. <laughs> so please find it on YouTube and just listen to her words; it's mesmerizing. Uh, so, is this baby bird alive or dead? And uh, she, they, the boys had already planned that if she, if she says the bird is alive, then they would crush it and kill it. Hmm. If she said the bird is dead, then they would open their hands, release the bird, and either way, the woman would be proven wrong. Right. And so, in her wisdom, the woman says, "I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if the bird is alive or dead, but what I do know is that it's in your hands." Wow. And just obviously immediately pulled the rug out from under them, uh, caught, you know, caught them in their own trap. Right. And uh, her point was that that, you know, that humanity can go uh, several different directions, but it's in our hands. Mm. Um, And that the language that we use, uh, another paraphrase of a quote is that love and language is basically all that we have. Yeah. Uh, So that our language is what connects us. Our language is what 
changes us. Our language is used to shape and share our experiences. Well, and one of the things that I've said on the show a couple of times, I think it's Richard Rohr says words create worlds mm-hmm. as a way of sort of elevating what we say matters. And sometimes there's a flippancy, especially online. I think there's a different level of boldness to say stuff that maybe we would never say to people's faces. Mm-hmm. We feel protected, I think, by our accounts and the screen, which mm-hmm. sometimes can be really helpful uh, to, you know, to, to really speak your mind. But in other ways, it feels like it can be really toxic and yes. really volatile. And I'm curious in your own experience, because you're also pretty outspoken, but you, you, you know, you represent organizations as well. And so I imagine you're like holding those things in tension. And I, I heard somebody yesterday, two days ago, mm-hmm. saying something like he's a pastor. And he said, I'd love to speak more prophetically online, but I'm afraid I'd lose my job if I did. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's really hard to speak prophetically to the powers that pay you. And I thought, oh, man, what a, yeah. what a, what a statement, yeah. right? And not that every, you know, like we've, there's a lot of clickbait. There's a lot of, sure. there's a lot of fear-mongering. I'm not saying everything that you see or say is 100% right. How do you thread that needle in like living out your convictions, knowing what you know about the people who may disagree with you, but also mm-hmm. looking at something in the news saying, uh, I need to speak up about this. I need I need to yeah. say something. Um, I use the delete button a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, pray, so pray that pray that if I have uh, you know spoken a little too harshly again, that's when I post out of my first reaction and not my second. So right. no, I do not always take my own advice. Uh, so I think again, giving myself some time and some space to get to that second, that third reaction. What what is my knee jerk? Right, and then you know, what is really going on here? Um, I am only outspoken about a handful of things. I try not to kind mm. of tangent into things that I don't know a whole lot about. Mm. Um, That's wise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, too, I am so, so blessed uh, to be in an academic setting where I'm surrounded by smart people. Mm. Um, I am totally okay not being the smart. I, I kind of like to be the dumbest person in the room. Same, same. Uh, so it's much easier for me. Yeah, but. Oh, it is. And again, it's that it's that curiosity um, that that drives me. And the joke is when I love to travel, but I love to travel with a guest lecturer. Mm. Uh, so I, when I go to um, you know Paris, I, I will have a historian and a literature professor friend with me. Oh, that's um, awesome! Even just last, um, and I know that's such such a privilege too that not mm. everybody has. Um, like even went to a baseball game at Wrigley Field with a friend last week who loves the Cubs mm. and. Um, you know, has her PhD in exercise sports science, and I'm like being like a three year old. What's happening here? What yes, is this for? That's so, that's so good. <laughs> that's so smart. And it's like maybe I just continue to be a youngest child this whole time. <laughs> um, so, but again, I think that's a dialectic that I can live in. Is that God has blessed me with a pretty decently working brain, mm. um, but not all, not always. But I can be, I can be <laughs> smart and still learn at the same time. Mm. Um, people can be. Uh, desperately afraid of something at the same time and still move forward. Right. Um, that people can be awful, but people can be pretty great too. Yes. Uh, so I think that's that's kind of that tension that I have to get get past. I th- I think too. of a passage. It's actually interesting that you say that because it's a passage I often use uh, at funerals and eulogies. Mm. But I was thinking about it this week. The uh, I think it's in. Thessalonians. We grieve, but not as those who grieve without hope. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I look at the internet. And people just ripping people to shreds. That does grieve me. But I have to admit, I also still have hope, weirdly, that yeah. like everything that you're saying, like, oh, we actually are. We're going to survive this. We're going to we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you think that your travel or that your 
friend circle? Like, what role do they play? You've seen other cultures and other people. Like, you've gone mm-hmm. after this. Do you think that's contributed to your ability to hold these things in tension and to learn from other perspectives? Uh, oh, most definitely. Really? Um, yeah, I, I know there have been a few places where I have been invited to visit specifically because of my of all the letters after my name. Right. And uh, so there feels some, pre- I feel some pressure to kind of sweep in as the expert yeah. or white savior or mm. whatever. And I, again, I, I fight that tendency a lot, but then I get there and I'm like, just shut up, Marcia, just <laughs> shut up. Uh, just shut up and listen and learn and kind of glean from the wisdom that, you know, the, that people and cultures and places and traditions have had for centuries. Yeah. And, you know, let's just hope that, you know, the, the colonialists have not ruined everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but again, I know I still have been, I've been in higher ed for, you know, almost two decades and wow. still have so much to learn. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the exciting part to me is I know stuff, but I don't know stuff. Right. Um, you know, there's always, there's always more, more growing, more growing to learn. Well, and I, I really too. think you just touched on, I think that's why I appreciate learning from you so much because of that posture, because of your willingness because to Because I know say, I'm kind of an idiot. No, no, but that humility to say, here's what I know right now. Okay. And that may change in five years. Just personally, like I find that so yeah. helpful in every time I interact with you, I'm like, oh, I want, I want to learn mm-hmm. from this person. I think that's, that's wonderful. Well, coming up next, Dr. Marshall Vaughn is going to stick with us for one more segment. And uh, we're going to talk obviously a little bit more about some of the brain science and your background, but I'd love to talk uh, a little bit about Willow as well, because this is yeah. a home for you. And I think your perspective and insight is so needed and so timely and so helpful to so many of us here in Chicagoland and, and even further than that. So Dr. Marshall Vaughn here in the studio on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is climbing a mountain, but you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And honestly, if you like and subscribe and review, somehow magically that helps us. And we really, really do appreciate that. But for the couple of days that Brian is gone, uh, I've invited some really wonderful, incredible in-studio guests. And uh, Dr. Marshall Vaughn is no exception. If you've just joined us, I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to the podcast because everything that you're saying, I knew this would happen too. Like you just like speak my heart. And I feel like, I wish I got to actually oh, spend thanks. more time with you, but watching the way that you interact online and create safe space for dialogue, real dialogue, by the way, because I've seen mm-hmm. times where, you know, you've created some groups and stuff too, where somebody I've seen people kind of say some pretty inflammatory things. And the way that you diffuse that is massive. It's like watching a master painter. All that to say, I'm done gushing. I just really appreciate master it. Painter with also a delete button with also <laughs> a delete button. That's true. That's true. Harder to do when painting, but true. I just want you to know from a distance, I really appreciate Thank I you. am inspired by the way that you carry yourself online. And I feel like it gives me both pause when I need pause, but courage when I need courage. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I do need to speak about this. Dr. Marsha Vaughn did. Mm-hmm. I need to. So for what it's worth, your influence in my life really means a whole lot. But um, I teed it up a little bit before we went to break that uh, Willow Creek is your home church, has been for a while. Uh, yes. And we've talked very, very little before this. But uh, if, you're, if you've been under you know, a rock for the last two years, you know that Willow has gone through all sorts of changes and is mm-hmm. still, I imagine, going through and mm-hmm. kind of finding its footing. And I'd be curious, to whatever degree you're comfortable talking about it, what are some things that you've learned? What are some things that you would caution people maybe in some of the continued narrative and dialogue that you're seeing happen online? And 
what is just your general like heart and posture right now for your home church? Um, well, and thank you for calling it my home church. It is, uh, and I guess a little bit more background is is needed. I I started going to a a Willow model church in graduate school. Oh, okay. Um, that was there in in Texas. Hey, shout out to Lubbock. Uh, that was very influential at a particular time in my life when I, w- I was questioning a lot of things. Um, you know, the the normal thing that everybody has to go through to make their faith their own, right? Uh, and that's probably a whole other show for you know, <laughs> can't do that in six and a half minutes. Um, I'll come back, please do. Um, but you know, to make my faith my own it did involve uh, leaving the church tradition that I grew up in. Mm. Uh, so Willow, finding Willow Creek and finding, uh, you know, Willow model churches um, was very freeing for me. Uh, that was the first place where I had ever seen a woman preach. And it was wow. that was Nancy Beach. Yes. Uh, and so when I had the opportunity to move up here, uh, I, w- I was looking for an academic job. I had Chicago and a few other places on my list. And of course, I was moving on my own. I didn't have a family. Uh, to move with me, it was like church would would I know at, hmm. I already knew would have been an integral part of my life. Um, so it wasn't just where I was going to work; it was also where I was going to go to church. Right. And so I was like, "Yeah, Chicago, this is great." The burbs. And so, no lie, I I this is pre smartphones, pre Google Maps, all hmm. that stuff. So I interviewed for my academic job, and it was like, I think Willow is around here somewhere. <laughs> And again, mind you, no smartphone, no Google map. And I should also add, I have a terrible sense of direction and (laughs) get lost on the way to the mailbox some days. And you just hop in your car. I did. I did. I just hopped in the rental and I knew it was, I knew it was, see, I'm even thinking the direction right now. East. Right. Yeah. East. Uh, so I had some time to kill on the way back to the airport. Never mind. I might've missed my flight. Uh, Whatever. Uh, so I just, again, wing in a prayer, literally, and it's like, okay, God, if I would love to be able to find Willow Creek, mm. um, and let's just sit and it's like, okay, I'm just going to head east and uh, started driving around and saw a sign that said Algonquin Road. And I was like, that sounds familiar. No kidding. And so started driving down Algonquin Road and lo and behold, there's the, the yellow sign that says church entrance. And wow. I was like, could it be? Um, and happened to stumble in accidentally to a Wednesday, a Sunday night service. Oh, wow. Um, or Saturday night service at Willow. Um, on my way to O'Hare to fly back after my interview wow. up here. And of course took it as a God thing. And that was a selling point that there was that Willow Creek was close and there was a Cracker Barrel close as well. <laughs> those, those are the two criteria. <laughs> two. Oh, and the job. <laughs> oh, right. right. Distant third. Income third. Uh, so now we all love Cracker Barrel. I get it. I get it. And of course, the Cracker Barrel then closed within like a, a year and a right. half. It's I know fun. the Cracker Barrel. I yes. will make my own biscuits and gravy. I'm a Southern girl. I can do that. Uh, so, but it was, I, I automatically knew when hmm. I moved up here. So my joke is that I moved on a Tuesday, started going to Willow on a Sunday and did not look back. Wow. Uh, so, and had been involved in, uh, you know, a couple different ministries there. And of course it's a huge church and I'm an introvert. Really I am. Um, so it struggled with getting connected for, mm. for several years and, uh, finally, it, it, again, I'm not going to lie. It probably took six, seven, eight years to, for Willow to really feel like home. Mm. Um, so started volunteering. 
uh, on a more regular basis. I went on a serving trip to Zambia. That was my first trip to Africa. Mm. I went chasing a sunset that was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life Mm. in a picture and thought I have to see this for real. Um, So Willow has played such an integral part in me owning my faith in yes, right. um, my passion for serving globally mm. and for recognizing some of those things. Um, so when things started to fall apart about a year and a half ago, um, I was at the family meetings and again, really wrestled with that dialectic mm. um, as there had been other churches, denominations that had wrestled with issues of abuses of power, of yeah. sexual harassment, right. of sexual abuse. Uh, and my knee-jerk automatic reaction is to believe the victims, right. is to believe the women. And so when this happens in my home church, which wow. on display for everybody to see, right. um, I remember sitting in the auditorium thinking, why would I believe any differently? Because this is my home church. Oh, interesting. Uh, but yet it's my home church. Yes. yes, that's different. I love this place. And it's the same kind of dynamic that you would see in families where the the big ugly secret comes out where it's like, I know this happens in other families, but not in mine. Right. And then you're kind of faced with that truth of it happens, but not here. Right. Um, you know, is this true? Is this false? Hmm. And so I started praying for opportunities to um, be a part of whatever happened next hmm. uh, through another long story found myself on the elder selection committee. Hmm. Um, and that was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Um, it was, but it was such a, an amazing process to be a part of. And again, I think what has happened with the um scandals at both Willow and at Harvest is that it's, again, it's kind of calling calling into question those beliefs that we hold. And can we hold two opposing truths to be true, right. the, to be right. um, accurate at the same time? Right. And we have to. Um, brain does not like cognitive dissonance. Brain is going to try and fit things into whatever boxes it already has. Um, but sometimes we need new file folders. Mm. Um, and we we need to be able to to, to live in that and to live in that conflict. Yeah. Um, when we desperately do not want to. Yeah. No kidding. Well, I, I can say with confidence, uh, Willow Creek is very lucky to have you. And I, I and really, vice versa. Uh, yeah. And I can sense Still, that in your voice. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for you, for your friendship, for your wisdom in the world. And you joked about it a little bit earlier, but I hope that you'll come back. I hope that you'll <laughs> join us you. again because I think I think we have a whole lot more that we could talk about. And uh, I'm really, really grateful for your time. Thank you for joining us on well, the show again, today. Thank you for the invite. This My is gosh, fun. it's been a pleasure. That is Likewise. the voice of Dr. Marsha Vaughn. I uh, can't encourage you enough. If you're just joining us, go back and listen to the podcast. Chock full of all sorts of wisdom for such a time as this. Thank you for being here. And uh, coming up next, another very special guest that you're not going to want to miss. That's what's coming up for the second hour on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is learning how to knit. Let's just say that. I'm going to come up with a different excuse each segment 
And anyone dropping in the middle of the show is going to be so confused, which that'll be fun for everybody. But you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com slash The Common Good plus wherever it is to get your podcast. And if you listen, subscribe, review, all that stuff actually magically somehow helps us out. Thank you in advance uh, if you've already done that. And uh, in Brian's absence, I've been inviting people that I care deeply about to serve as sort of these guest hosts. And I, I honestly cannot tell you guys how excited I am to have the one and only George Coke in the studio, in the flesh. Sir, welcome to the show. Ian, it's a delight. Any time with you. Even if that's not true, it's now on record and I'll take it. Okay. And I, <laughs> okay, so one of the things I've been doing with the guest host is rather than me sort of like read a bio is to instead let them introduce themselves to the audience. So George Coke, how would you introduce yourself to the people listening? Mm, a frightened, uh, <laughs> a, fr- a frightened uh, quarry um, fearing the shotgun. No, really. Ah, this is the best intro ever. <laughs> I'm one of the pastors at New Jerusalem House of Prayer in West Chicago. Uh, it is the first Anglican Messianic congregation. That's in right. the United States. That's right. It was previously Resurrection Anglican Church, but four years ago, through uh, a series of events and some prophetic words from an unexpected source, hmm. uh, we claimed an identity hmm. that we had been growing into, but hadn't quite grasped as fully as we really needed to. Right. And when we did, everything changed. It was quite, quite, quite extraordinary. Okay. So I actually remember you talking about this three or four years ago because George and I used to serve on the board of a ministry called Act Three that is now called The Initiative, uh, started by the one and only Dr. John Armstrong, which is this really beautiful ecumenical ministry uh, that is serving to build bridges. And I think in a time now, what, like, what, can you think of a time in recent history where building bridges of Christian faith has been more important, like more critical? No, I can't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Christianity seems to have uh, started out uh, ignoring Jesus' prayer to his father in John 17. Yes. That his disciples all would be one as he and the father are one. And you would almost think the church from moments after his ascension said, (laughs) you know, we heard you say that, but, you know, interesting suggestion, but we have some other ideas because I don't (laughs) like those guys. So I'm not going to have anything to do with them anymore. In fact, I have a story about that. Please, please share it. This is so illustrative of the issue and the importance of what John is doing with the initiative. Right friend of mine was driving uh, through the countryside, through a series of small sort of ramshackle towns. Uh, and as he pulled into one, just driving through, he saw a house uh, on the street there, a bit run down, ramshackle like they are in, in not all, but many rural towns. And in the front yard of this house was a gigantic sign. Hmm. Um, you know, almost a billboard, and it said, International Headquarters of the Two-Seed Church of God in Christ. Wow. And he thought, well, I've never heard of that, but that's pretty interesting. <laughs> and then he 
went in front of the very next house, and there was another giant (laughs) billboard about the same size as the first one that he'd seen. This is a true story. (laughs) And this sign said, International Headquarters of the Two Seed Church of God in Christ Reformed. (laughs) (laughs) This is an actual true story. true story. So he couldn't stand it. So he parked his car and went up and knocked on the door of the second house. Of course. And said, oh, the guy came to the door and he said, I saw the two signs. I know that you're the reformed. What's the difference? And the guy said, well, we we just we had a theological point over which we differed. And we no longer could remain in fellowship with them. And so we had to separate and really start our own denomination. And so he, my friend said, what was the theological point oh, no. that caused this division? And he said, well, it was over whether or not one could prophesy in the spirit of Elijah or as Elijah himself. No kidding. Yeah. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the straw. That was the straw. But it's so illustrative yes. of what's gone on in Christianity, sadly, for a couple thousand years now. Well, I remember when my uh, the church that I was hired out of college, we went through a pretty massive church split, and we invited someone to kind of walk that walk us through the whole experience. And he said, I just came from a church where they're experiencing a split right down the middle over the issue of padded toilet seat covers. Mm. That was their big thing. And the church was legitimately having a 50, 50 split right down the middle because of it. And I thought, okay, we got it. We got to change. Yeah, there's something. a problem here. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I'm curious why, how, how did you become so passionate about church unity, about ecumenism? Because you, you serve on this board, you're, you're a leader in this ministry. And, and, and so much of your life has been kind of modeled around this John 17 way of living. Where did that begin? Why do you think, why do you think that's such a passion area for you? Why is it so rare? Well, I can tell you that when I sort sort of began having this dawn on me uh, was in high school. Uh, and it was what they would call today my woke moment. <laughs> I think it's hashtag woke. Is what hashtag yeah, woke. Right. That'll work. Uh, and... Um, I grew up in a town which was all white. Hmm. I mean, I would say all pink, but you know, <laughs> peach maybe. common <laughs> lingo is all is white. And I'd actually never met a person who uh, had darker skin than mine, brown hmm. or dark brown or purple or red or yellow. I mean, those are all real colors of human beings uh-huh. that I've known. Uh, and yet in Sunday school, we sang... Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Mm. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So that really stuck with me yeah. and and sort of made my heart um, believe that God loved all of us, regardless of color, the mm. same. Mm. So uh, in high school, I joined the NAACP. Mm. I was the member of the NAACP in Elmhurst, Illinois. No kidding. Yes. There were no brown or black people there. I was a white kid, and I joined the NAACP. Wow. And mm, I can tell you the consequences of that. 
Uh, in just another minute. <laughs> you did the tease for me. That Thank was, you. That was perfect. If that's not a cliffhanger, I don't know what is. You're a radio person, aren't you? We'll talk about that later. You, yes, you've done, This yeah. isn't your first rodeo. It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> well, that other voice you're hearing is none other than George Koch, my good friend, but also someone that I respect and look up to a great deal. He's going to stick around for this entire second hour in Brian's absence. And so coming up next, we're going to hear the other half of that story here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is learning how to work with pottery. Uh, but you can find out more about us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And we have the right Reverend George Koch in the studio. Not right Reverend. Not That's right. a bishop. I'm not oh, a bishop. Oh, shoot. Okay. What would be the proper prefix then? Just... <laughs> My friend. The, oh, I like that better. My friend, George Koch. Can I tell are. people a little bit about your book and website and church real quick yeah, before we... Sure, okay, so you wrote this wonderful book. I want to read every word on this cover because I love it. So it's What We Believe and Why, and it says insightful, accessible, plain spoken, and a little feisty. And I can attest to that. I've read this. It's really, really good. Christian faith from its Jewish roots to its future hope beyond denominational struggles and doctrinal war. How is that for that, a title? Yeah. So you can learn more at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. You can learn more about their church at newjerusalem.info or georgecoke.com. Coke is K-O-C-H. And uh, those are plenty of ways to find out more about him and his writing and his ministry. I can't encourage you enough to do so. But before the break, you left us with a little bit of a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger, yeah. Catch us up a little bit where we were and then uh, and then give us the, sure. the second half. Sure, I'm in high school. I've never met anybody who's anything other than pink, which right. is what right. I am. Uh, but I believed uh, from reading the Bible and growing up in church that God loved all people equally, regardless of where they're from, what color they were, any of that kind of stuff. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. I'm in an all-white town, uh, and so I joined the NAACP. I was the only member in that town. Did you pitch that idea to, to anybody, by the way? Like, no, I, think I just went ahead and did, did it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, love that. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what to do now. I'm a member of the NAACP. This is a little bit like the the problem that we all have in church where we hear what we should be doing. We all agree that's what we should be doing. Then we go home and do other things. Hmm. So I wanted to do something. Right. And so I discovered that there was a, a program going on in the inner city of Chicago uh, to help uh, in job training and job placement for people living uh, in the inner city. Uh, and so I found out who the, and this was an NAACP program, and so I found out who the head of it was and talked to him on the phone, hmm. got invited to be a part of it, went to downtown Chicago. I'm just a, a very naive kid. <laughs> um, and went into the inner city and showed up to do whatever I could do that would be of help. Hmm. One of the first things he did, which was very wise on his part, was take me to uh, an African-American family's home. Hmm. Uh, and I got to meet the mom and the dad and the kids and saw the toys and saw what they watched on TV. And they talked about school. And it was I mean, my reaction was, this is just exactly like my family. Wow. Except, 
you know, the color of their skin is right. darker. Right. I mean, there isn't any other difference that I can <laughs> detect here. Mm. And and I realized that that was literally true. Wow. And all of these weird prejudices that people had about black people, mm. you know, who are actually dark brown, right. were just weird prejudices that they had. Mm. And so in my naivete, I invited the guy who's the head of this program to come to our church mm. to talk about this program that we're involved in in the inner city. African-American guy. Brilliant, competent, great leader, obviously very wise in taking this naive <laughs> suburban kid and sort of instantly educating him. Uh, and I went home and talked to the pastor of our church, said, can I bring him out? And he said, sure. It's a great idea. Hmm. Uh, and I was of the opinion or the naive idea at that stage in my life that the difference between prejudice and not prejudice was information. Hmm. This, by the way, is not true. Right, right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's hugely not true. <laughs> But I thought it was. So yep. I thought this yep. would be a great idea. And pastor approved. We made posters, stuck them up around the church. And what resulted was the most horrendous split no in kidding. this church. Wow. Uh, a bunch of people called a congregational meeting, which Presbyterians don't do. Uh, I mean, they don't. it's not a congregational polity. Right. So this is very unusual. And half of the church said that they would resign and leave and start a new church if this black man was allowed in the building. No kidding. And the most infamous of all of the comments was one man said that he would wrap himself in an American flag and lie on the front porch so that in order for this man to get in, he would have to step on him and the flag to get into the building. Wow. I was flabbergasted. I mean, I was just stunned and really didn't know what to do. Um, So I went and talked to the pastor. His name was Lester Dakin of blessed memory. Uh, And my conversation with him taught me about integrity. Mm. And it's a lesson that has lived in me ever since that moment. Yeah. And what he said was, George, you have understood the gospel and they have not. And even if I lose half of my church, you may have this talk here. Wow. Yeah. And he had founded the church after a deathbed conversion. No kidding. And he'd been the head of it for maybe 25 years, something like that, and had built it to a significant size. And what I did was I moved the talk to the local college because I didn't believe it was fair to him Mm. that he would have such a huge loss because of something that I was doing as important as it was. Yeah. And everybody that needed to hear him talk came over to the college instead. Mm. And I know that it took years to heal that rift. No kidding. And that's one of the things that really, I mean, it tore at my heart then. Those kinds of things tear at my heart today. Yep. And when I look at them, I, I just have to say this this is not how followers of Jesus are supposed to live their lives right. if they listen to what he taught um, and really took it in yep. didn't just listen but obeyed yes 
the world would be utterly different right now right. than it is. In fact, there's a an interesting passage in the Hebrew Scriptures when the scrolls of the Torah are lifted before the people, and they know that they are about to hear God's counsel mm. for them. Mm. They haven't heard it yet, but they know they are about to hear it. Yeah. And their response in this sequence in Hebrew is, we will obey and we will hear. Oh, wow. So that sequence have, is important. That's it. The sequence is hugely important. Mm. And the way that story is actually told among the rabbis uh, is God took his Torah to many people, uh, many people's groups, many tribes and mm. nations, and said, uh, if you will follow my law, I will be your God and you will be my people. Mm. And all of them said, well, let's see what the law is and we'll decide. Mm. Until he got to the Israelites and they said, we will obey and we will hear. Basically, we'll follow it. What do we have to do? That is fantastic. Yeah. And what an important insight into, I'm, I have so many questions, which I'll have to wait to this following segment because, so you've, you've now led an Anglican community which is now a messianic Anglican community. Right. And you have written a book about our Jewish roots exactly. and the ways that that impacts our gatherings and, and how that ties in with ecumenism today. So I have roughly six hours worth of questions that we'll have to fit into two segments, uh, but we're going to do our best with George Koch here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm is out finger painting. But you can find out more uh, on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And in Brian's absence, we've been having some very special in-studio guests. We have in the flesh, incarnate, if I may say, uh, George Koch who is, what's the prefix? My friend. My friend, George Koch. He wrote a book called What We Believe and Why. You can learn more at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. You can also go to georgekoch.com. That's K-O-C-H. Also, newjerusalem.info. And we teased it a little bit. We were talking about your church and sort of this transition. But in the last segment, you gave us a very brief teaching, and you were saying off air that you can actually go to your website and get more information on what what it is that you were just talking about. Yeah, um, the website has a a number of resources on it, uh, either that we've produced or that we point to. Uh, There's been a rising interest in the Jewish roots of the faith. Hmm. Uh, It's not exactly a tidal wave at this point. Um, (laughs) But as we have really dug uh, deeper and deeper over almost a decade now, um, we have discovered such extraordinary treasure that seems to have been either forgotten or intentionally ignored Hmm. by the church as it has evolved. And I mean the church, big C. Right. Uh, And... Um, that last piece about we will obey and we will hear is just one of countless examples. And it's applicable to what Jesus taught. If we as followers of Jesus were to actually obey what he taught, mm. um, you know, Matthew 28 at the very end, right. I mean, go disciple the nations, teaching them to obey mm-hmm. everything I have taught. Well, when you look at what Jesus taught, 
the rules that he set forth, yeah, they're pretty few in number. That's right. And pretty straightforward. <laughs> Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Uh-huh. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love even your enemies and mm-hmm. pray for them. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah, it's pretty much the list. There are some others that are more minor than that. Right. But uh, our response to much of that seems to have been, well, I'll do that so long as you conform mm. to this statement of faith that we have for our denomination or our local congregation or whatever. And unless and until you are willing willing to sign on to these doctrinal statements, yeah, right. then to us, you're pretty much anathema, mm. or at least worth ignoring. Yeah. Um, and and that divisive spirit, yeah, it doesn't come from heaven. That's right. Well, one of the things that really kind of brought us together is this this deep desire for unity. And when I moved to Chicago, uh, I, I'd never heard the word ecumenism. And somebody, by the grace of God, pointed me to John Armstrong and I remember like watching a couple of videos. And I was like, oh, there's a word for that. That's amazing. And you almost can't talk about ecumenism without also talking about the creeds. And I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts regarding the creeds? Well, my approach actually is going to be surprising, I think. There are four major creeds in right. the church. Right. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, the... Uh, um, I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> the band creed from the 90s, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> the Athanasian creed. Uh, and uh, let me see how to pronounce this correctly. I apologize. Oh, that's okay. Um, the Chalcedonian creed. Right. Um, some churches require sort of allegiance to all of them. Some churches reject some of them, especially the Eastern churches, mm-hmm. uh, and some other Protestant churches uh, have declared all of them anathema. Mm. You know, they will have nothing to do with any of them. Mm. Uh, the majority of the church would affirm the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Uh, the Eastern church split from the Western church in 1054 for, among other reasons, the inclusion of what's called the filioque clause mm. Mm. in the Nicene Creed. And that means that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and then, and the Son, that's filioque, comes from the root for Son. Mm. The Eastern Church says, no, the Holy Spirit comes from the Father, period, full stop. Oh, interesting. The Western Church inserted into a Nicene Creed, which had been previously agreed to by sort of everybody, <laughs> inserted and the sun mm. and ultimately that led to the great schism of 1054 right there were some other items in it but right. that was one of the primary ones and the western church has retained the filioque until about the last 10 years really when there have been serious discussions about taking it out because it was not actually there when oh. the nicene creed was written it was it was put in a couple centuries later mm. So what, what is that for the, for, I mean, for, yeah. Yeah. Why do I bring this up and why does it matter? Right. Exactly. Here's the reason. Do you remember in all four gospels, there is a moment 
when a group of people come up to Jesus in, in one form or another and ask him, what's the great commandment? Yes. And that's because there was a debate going on among the rabbis and the students of the rabbis. Right. We think probably Hillel and Shammai, maybe others, about what the greatest commandment was. And right. some thought it was circumcision. That's really the mark of the covenant. Others thought it was Shabbat, you know, the taking a day of rest when you don't work. Mm-hmm. You know, the debate sort of was roiling in the, in the <laughs> community there. So they thought, well, let's go ask Jesus. And Jesus' response to it is basically this. First, the Hebrew. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And by the way, the word Adonai in that is a whole giant subject unto itself. Mm. But hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, or mind, depending on the translation, and strength. Mm. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets stand under these two commands. Yes. Okay. So, he could not have been clearer (laughs) in saying love is the foundation of everything. Everything depends on love. That's right. You got your theology right, but there isn't love. You've missed the point. It's a gong. It's nothing. Right. Right. Buzzer, red flag. Yes. It's these two commands overrule everything. Hmm. Okay. I believe that. Um, If you read every single one of these creeds, which are supposed to be the foundation of everything that we believe about Jesus, about God the Father, about the Holy Spirit, about life on earth, Everything that we believe is here in the creeds. Well, there's this one unfortunate omission. Not one of the creeds ever once refers to love, even once. Nor do any of them tell us how we are to go about living our lives. They are all philosophical propositions, not a guide for living and they say nothing about love. That is the segue of all segues, because coming up next, then I want to ask you, how do then we live in an age where everyone seems angry at everyone, and we just keep hunkering down further and further into our echo chambers, and everyone else is the other, everyone else is the them, everyone else is the enemy. Give us some guidance then coming up next on how do we actually live this way of love in an age of outrage. And that's where we're going to go in our last second of the day with Dr. George Koch. Here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is taking an underwater basket weaving course right now, but he'll be back soon. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. But in his absence, we've been inviting some very special in-studio guests joining me 
for an entire hour is my friend George Koch. A couple of things about George. He wrote a, bro- a brilliant book called What We Believe and Why, insightful, accessible, plain spoken, and a little feisty. You can learn more at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. Also, more about his church, New Jerusalem, at newjerusalem.info. Uh, in there, there's a whole lot more resources about what he's kind of touched on today. Plus, you can also go to georgekoch.com. His last name is K-O-C-H.com. And you would tee this up so beautifully because I wanted to go here anyway. You talked about one of the tragic omissions of these four major creeds is the way of love. How do we actually live this out? Which I think is actually making a very strange resurgence right now where what what seems to be kind of glorified are these philosophical truisms. And the question that Brian and I keep going back to is, yeah, but how? How do we actually, in this divided, broken world, when like you were saying, when churches are splitting over sometimes really insignificant issues, how do we live in this way of love? And I would just love for you to speak to that a little bit. Yeah, let me, let me talk to that directly. But first, let me give just a, a little pathway. Please that, do. Um, folks could uh, chase down if they wanted to. And in fact, actually cover it in the last three chapters of the book. And that is that our faith, the Christian faith, the followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, is based on a Hebrew worldview, as clearly as I can say that. If you read the Old Testament or the New Testament, although it's in Greek, the worldview is a Hebrew worldview, right. which is a, what I would call a narrative worldview, very relational mm-hmm. uh, in the way it expresses everything. Yes. Okay. What has happened is that over the course of time, and I can even point out the two places where it started is it has been converted from a faith uh, really based on relationships to one based on assertions and propositions. Mm. And those propositions are then debated as to their truthfulness. (laughs) But what we don't have is sort of the parable kind of teaching that Jesus did where he gave examples yes, right. of how you were to live, right. rather than saying this is philosophically what we posit to be true. Yes. So that's a very worthwhile thing to discover. That's well because said. as soon as you do, you start asking the question, well, then what is it if, if that's really sort of a conversion of the faith from one worldview to a Greek worldview? worldview, Hmm. then what was the worldview of Jesus? I mean, what was it really? And how is it different from what I've sort of assumed it was? Well, guess what? It's different. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And as you begin to read it in the original, you go, my goodness, why didn't I know this? Yes. Uh, I'll give you one really quick uh, example of this. Uh, Jesus spent Um, Passover with his disciples, read Matthew 26, was crucified on Friday, Mm -hmm. um, was in the ground from Friday night through Shabbat, and then raised from the dead, what's referred to in Scripture as the first fruits from the dead on Sunday. That's right. Well, do you know what holiday that day was? It was the holiday of first fruits Mm -hmm. in the Jewish calendar. Mm -hmm. It was for the barley harvest. Mm. There are two first fruits. That one was the celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. Mm. 
and Jesus is referred to as the first fruit from the dead. Mm. Why didn't anybody tell me that when I was in Sunday school? <laughs> right. I mean, it would have made so much sense to me. Right. And then what's the birth of the church? It's on the Jewish holiday of Shavuot, which they also call, by the way, Pentecost. <laughs> and that's the celebration of the second first fruits of wheat. That's right. That's right. It's the first fruit from the dead is the birth of the church. Why didn't I know that when right. I was in Sunday school? Right. These are so foundational to what was happening, and they weren't coincidences. That's right. This, I mean, God said, hey, here's a good, I'll raise them from the dead on the first fruits. Yes. You know, makes sense to God, but <laughs> apparently to the people that put our curricula together, this was, this was not important enough to An mention. Insignificant detail, right. Yeah. It's just, so there, there are so many things like that mm. that were missed and that we have in, in the evolution of our congregation learned yes. and, and which have really changed the way we do everything, including your question, how we relate to each other. Yes. Um, Shabbat is an example of that. Shabbat for uh, observant Jews begins at sundown on Friday night and it ends an hour after sundown on Saturday. Right. And it, it honors the fourth commandment when God said, you have six days to work just like I did. And on the seventh day I rested. I expect you to do the same thing. Right. I don't want you to work on the day I didn't work. Mm. I want you to spend that time with family and with me. Mm. Set aside that time with family and with me so that the relationship in your family has time when it's not focused on work and chores and all of those other things, right. but it's just spent together studying my Torah or my word, praying and having relationship with me. I'm setting away, aside an entire day, 25 hours actually, hmm. every single week for relationship. Yes. Okay, and... How many Christians do we know that do that? Very few. Whether they pick Saturday or Sunday, you know, I pretty much am impartial on that issue. Same. But does that actually happen? No, we haven't actually taken the time to learn to do relationship like that. Right. That's the first part. The second part is how easily we take offense. Hmm. Uh, or look for something to be offended about. That's true. That's right. Even when there isn't something there. We go I mean, searching for it. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> and then pick out, you know, out of a, an entire book that someone wrote, I find a clause that I think maybe offends my sensibility about something everybody's changed their mind about in the last 10 years. Right. And here's a book written 30 years ago. So let's all get offended about this. Mm. There's a book actually um, called The Bait of Satan. John Bevere, if you haven't read it, anybody out there, if you haven't read it, get it. Mm. And what he basically says is offense. Allowing yourself to be offended is the bait Satan uses to draw you into conflict wow. with other human beings. No kidding. It's quite an extraordinary book. What was the name of the book again? The Bait of Satan. Wow. Yeah. Really That's powerful. Extraordinary. Okay, so what I would love to do then, just in the last 30 seconds then, because you, you are both an academic, but you also, I just think, have a beautiful pastoral heart. For the people listening who are feeling discouraged by all the outrage and all the division they see in the world, would you just speak some pastoral hope into their soul a little bit? I would say the best way to do that 
is to pray for others. Yeah. When you hear angry words or condemning words, bitter words coming out of someone else's mouth, whether they're condemning you or someone else, rather than joining in that offense, yeah. pray peace for them. Mm. Pray for God's shalom, his peace. You know, Jesus said, I give you a peace that's beyond understanding. That's it's right. not like any peace you've known. That's right. Pray for that for the other person. And I promise what will happen is your own heart will change. That's so good. George, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I personally am really, really grateful for your influence in my life. I know everyone listening now feels the same way. I'm so grateful for your heart and the ways that you lead and serve people. Please come back sometime. I'd be delighted. I would love that. And it's fun being with you. Yeah, likewise. I enjoy this. I say we do it again. Okay. Well, you've been listening to The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.